The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank believes communities thrive when individuals succeed. Working together, we can help create economic opportunity for all. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, June 25th. In today's news, Iran says new U.S. sanctions close the door to negotiations. The Supreme Court makes it harder to prosecute violent crime. And liberals demand changes to a funding bill to help the migrant kids being detained at the border. But first, the big idea. He fought with distinction in two of this country's formative wars. He was given a medal for valor by one of the world's great generals. He met a president and at least one president-to-be. Yet James Robinson, who was born into slavery in the mid-18th century, was denied his liberty for most of his life, and he never received the military honors that he had earned. That finally changed over the weekend. Robinson, who died in 1868, was given a military funeral on Saturday in his adopted hometown of Detroit. There was an honor guard, a flag presentation, speeches, a 21-gun salute, and the dedication of two bronze emblems representing the conflicts in which he fought, the Revolutionary War and the War of 1812. A handful of surviving references to Robinson point to him as a hero's hero. The Marquis de Lafayette pinned a gold French military medal of honor on him for his exploits at the Battle of Yorktown in 1781, and he was in the thick of the combat that helped General Andrew Jackson rout the British at the Battle of New Orleans in 1815. But as one of the more than 5,000 black people who fought in the Revolutionary War and several thousand more who took up arms for us in the War of 1812, his deeds were mostly lost to history, as records on African-American soldiers were always spottily kept. Worse, he fought in both wars on the understanding that afterward he'd be given the opportunity to live as a free American citizen. Instead, he returned home each time only to be sent back into slavery. He spent 77 of his 115 years in bondage. Yes, you heard that right. He lived apparently to be 115 years old. One historian who helped unearth Robinson's story tells the Baltimore Sun that it epitomizes the plight of thousands of black troops who fought for the United States in two centuries worth of wars, only to return to a land that denied them the freedoms they helped secure for the nation. At Yorktown, Robinson is said to have charged up a British rampart and killed three men, redcoats, in hand-to-hand combat en route to overtaking the enemy emplacement. The victorious Allied leader, Lafayette, pinned on Robinson that gold medal, by virtue of his authority as a French nobleman. The French, even back then, were more tolerant of minorities. Robinson somehow obtained his freedom in the 1830s. It's unclear how. The 1840 census lists him as a free man in Ohio. He later became a Methodist minister and married a woman named Curtilda. They had two sons, one of whom fought for the Union in the Civil War. His last known descendant, a granddaughter named Gertrude Robinson, died in Ohio in 1983. Robinson, according to a memoir that he wrote, also apparently traveled to Washington in 1856 at 103 years of age 
seeking a military pension. According to the narrative, he met with President Franklin Pierce. Unfortunately, though, his request was denied because of the color of his skin. Historians who have studied this say Robinson was a truly great American, and he never lost his determination to be free. No matter how cruelly this country that he served so bravely and so nobly treated him for so much of his life. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Iranian officials slammed the Trump administration overnight for new sanctions targeting that country's leadership, saying the measures permanently, their word, closed the path to diplomacy and that the White House has become, quote, mentally crippled under the current president. Speaking in a televised address, Iranian President Hassan Rouhani called the restrictions targeting the Supreme Leader outrageous and idiotic and said they show certain failure on the part of the Trump administration to isolate Iran. He said on state TV that sanctioning the foreign minister while requesting a sit-down with the foreign minister won't work. President Trump announced in the Oval Office yesterday that the assets of Ayatollah Khamenei and his office will not be spared from the sanctions. But the president mispronounced the Iranian clerical leader's name as Khomeini, which was the name of the former leader who died in 1989. Tehran is mocking Trump for this. But jokes aside, the decision to target Khamenei directly suggests that the president is attempting to turn up pressure on the leader who would decide whether to accept an invitation to new negotiations over Iran's nuclear program. Visiting Jerusalem today, National Security Advisor John Bolton called the new sanctions significant, but he emphasized that Trump is holding the door open to real negotiations. Bolton spoke at a trilateral summit of U.S., Israeli, and Russian national security advisors, the first of its kind. And Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has begun recruiting allies, including Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, to monitor threats from Iran in the Persian Gulf. U.S. officials say there currently is no back channel between the U.S. and Iranian governments. Number two, the Supreme Court sided with a Los Angeles clothing designer yesterday in a case that challenged a federal ban on registering quote, immoral and scandalous trademarks. Five justices joined Elena Kagan's opinion. Los Angeles artist Eric Brunetti had sued the government, saying it violated his First Amendment rights by refusing to register the trademark for his subversive clothing line, F-U-C-T. Other justices on both sides of the court's ideological divide worried that this ruling went too far and will leave the Patent and Trademark Office powerless to refuse, in the words of Sonia Sotomayor, registering marks containing the most vulgar, profane, or obscene words and images imaginable. Sotomayor fears the government will now be forced to register trademarks that include a particularly egregious racial epithet. But Kagan's majority opinion was joined by an ideologically mixed group that included Sam Alito, Clarence Thomas, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Neil Gorsuch, and Brett Kavanaugh. In another marquee case of this term, Gorsuch tipped the scales to hand a big win to the left. Joined by all four of the court's liberals, Gorsuch wrote the majority opinion in a 5-4 decision that struck down a key provision of a federal gun law that has allowed prosecutors to get harsher punishments for violent crimes that involved firearms. Gorsuch wrote in his opinion that, quote, a vague law is no law at all. In the gun case, Gorsuch assumed the role of the man he replaced. Antonin Scalia 
often sided with liberal justices in similar criminal cases involving laws that lower courts had deemed hard to decipher. Now, yesterday was supposed to be the end of the Supreme Court's term, but the justices haven't delivered opinions yet in eight cases argued earlier in the term, including two big ones, what role federal courts play in policing partisan gerrymandering and whether the Trump administration may add a question about citizenship to the 2020 census. Number three, congressional liberals angry at the treatment of migrant children at detention centers forced House leadership, including Nancy Pelosi, to amend a funding bill that would deliver emergency aid to the border. Assistant Speaker Ben Ray Lujan, the Democrat from New Mexico, emerged last night from a nearly two-hour sit-down involving members of the Congressional Progressive Caucus and the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. Both groups had expressed concern about delivering additional funding to the Trump administration without strings attached. Lujan said a vote will proceed today. The $4.5 billion bill will now include requirements that kids get blankets and toothbrushes and soap, among other things. The Department of Justice said last night that its lawyer, who argued in court last week that the government is not required to supply migrant minors with soap, toothbrushes, or beds, has received several death threats. Down at the border, truly horrifying details continue to emerge about the filthy and unsanitary conditions in the Border Patrol holding centers for these kids. Big-hearted Texans are showing up in droves at Border Patrol facilities along the border trying to donate diapers and toys and toothbrushes and medicine for the little children who are being held without their parents and without these basic amenities. But they're being turned away. They've been met with a common message by federal agents. No donations are being accepted. People say it's heartbreaking to show up with cars full of supplies for these youngsters and to be powerless to do anything to help them. For God's sake, one guy told the Texas Tribune outside one such center in Clint, Texas, they're kids. And that's the Daily 202 for Tuesday, June 25th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.